Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. I'd like to thank you, Brian Childress, for joining us on It's TechTastic. It's wonderful to have you here. It's great being here. I really appreciate you having me. So Brian, I was checking out your website. I thought you were going to have a podcast when I clicked on the little link, but it didn't go to anything. Yeah, I'm actually updating the whole website as a whole. So yeah, it should link out to Spotify and whatnot. But yeah, I had done a a podcast with a friend a while back and we had a a good run there. And then since been uh, doing a lot of podcasts just like yours. Nice. So what was the podcast you used to do? Uh, It was called the Dev Advice Podcast, and it was advice for developers, you know, everything from dealing with imposter syndrome to finding new roles, a lot of things that engineers and developers tend to uh, encounter as they continue to grow in their career. I've been a software engineer in action since the late 80s by uh, the early 90s, I was doing it professionally. Mm -hmm. There are lots of these things that hit us along the way. You know, the most recent one that was really impactful to a lot of people was cloud computing and what that meant to people. Just before that was smartphones and what that meant. And, you know, there's been one thing after another. We're always in a learning cycle. We're always having to adapt. But the thing about generative AI that I think is so disruptive to people in the software development community is the fact that we were wizards. We were masters of this world. We were the only ones that really could create in it. And all of a sudden, that power has been given to everybody. So it feels to a lot of people that I've talked to that are still hands-on keyboard developers, like the rug's been pulled out from underneath them on their career and they don't know what to do with it. Um, My view is that that is true, but not as desperate and as sad as they think. What's actually happened is all the crappy work can be done by machines now. All the little things, all the things that used to distract us from doing the hard, interesting problems. And now we can focus on the really interesting, meaty, tough issues. I would 100% agree with that, Christian. I really would. You know, I I think in order for us to use generative AI and a lot of the tools that it enables effectively, we still have to know what we're looking at and what those machines are generating for us. And if it is any good, if it's actually solving the problem. And so I think when I hear the same thing from developers where they're concerned that, oh, my job is being taken away by the robots, I don't think that's the case at all. You know, we saw similar issues when Stack Overflow started to really gain popularity and you start to see a lot of copy paste code and you can tell that it was copy pasted because the developer that brought it into the code base may not really understand what the code is actually doing. It just happened to work at that point in time. And so that's what we were shipping. And so I think we still really have to have a, a really close eye on the code that's being generated and how it plays into the overall software that we're developing. You know, I think if anything, and we've seen it with the upsurgence of low code and no code platforms, 
you know, things like generating simple brochure websites and, and that sort of thing that did require some level of deep understanding of HTML and CSS and so forth several years ago, right? That's kind of gone away. I would expect things at that level to continue to go away and, and be enabled by platforms and, and AI can certainly support that. I think we're just kind of moving up to the next tier of complexity that we need to be able to solve. But I completely agree. You still need to understand the problem, be able to explain that to another human, to the chat GPTs of the world, and be able to explain it in a way that it makes sense to then generate a potential solution for you. But I, I like to say a lot that technology is the easiest part of what we do. You know, whether it's Googling six or seven years ago or Stack Overflow or those skills, I can make my way to a solution, but I really need to understand the problem and then how do I work with others to get to a working solution? Because really software engineering is very much a team sport. So I think technology is just a way that we solve the problem. There was a XKCD cartoon mm -hmm. and he would do the day in the life of a software engineer. <laughs> and the first part of it is, hey, I'm a genius. Look at this amazing thing I did. And the next second he's bashing his head against the screen. And what I always found funny about that is I think of my own experience writing code and how productive I was, was usually very tightly bound 30 minutes to an hour of like intense, absolute amazing things happened followed by like eight hours of bashing my head against the wall, of you know being stuck by something that was just like, God, I can't believe I can't figure this thing out. Now, when I run into those problems, I've got a dozen tools that I can go to, starting with something like Stack Overflow, right? Where I can go right. and say like, has anybody seen this problem before? Has anybody run into this? And so my productivity jumped an order of magnitude because of tools like that. And though I'm not hands-on keyboard most of the day anymore, and I haven't been in a while, I imagine that that same type of thing is going to be true with uh, the generative AI tools. But there's one part of it that I realized, even with that, like there's a maximum amount of productivity you're ever going to get out of people. Uh, the vast majority of the brilliance that happens in any creative process suit is not the time when you're doing it. Mm -hmm. It's not the time when your hands are on the keyboard. It's when you're out walking in the woods and you're like, oh my God, I just had that brilliant revelation that's going to make this thing possible. I'm curious if that's the same experience you have. Absolutely the same experience. It's taken me you know, several years in my career to understand and really be able to kind of pick up on when that's happening and be able to push myself away from the keyboard and go for a walk. 20 or 30 minutes in, you know, I'm trying to find a stick so I can draw a diagram in the dirt because that's all I have available to me because I just solved this problem that I've been battling for several days now. So yeah, I, I always kind of lean on those tools, right? Mowing the grass, taking a walk, taking a shower. It's in those moments that then we solve the most complicated problems. So this gets to a different topic that's actually very interesting, that poetic time, team building and structuring an organization that enables that. Because if you get the vast majority of the value from those moments, then as a leader of a team, uh, even as a scrum master for an organization, I want to encourage the behavior that's going to get those brilliant moments. But the problem is going for a walk together in the woods isn't going to get like uniformly. Everybody's going to have that moment of brilliance at the same time. I think it's you're absolutely right. When I come up with an amazing, brilliant solution is certainly not going to be the time that you're even thinking about that same thing. So you're not able to digest it. I think from a team dynamic and something that 
I'm really glad that we're seeing a lot more in the industry is just asynchronous type of collaboration. So something I use a lot with the teams and startups that I work with, you know, sure, we'll dump messages into shared Slack channels. You know, there's not an expectation of high fidelity or even great grammar or anything along those lines. It's getting the idea out there because then everyone can kind of build upon that idea. Another thing that I like to use with teams are recorded videos, recorded audio thoughts, just a way to just almost kind of brain dump on your team. Like, hey, I just had this amazing idea and I know it's 11 p.m. on a Saturday, but I don't want to lose sight of this. And, you know, I think a lot of that kind of comes down to the cohesion that is within a team and the collaboration that we're able to build. I couldn't agree more with what you just said, because one of the reasons this podcast actually started, I had a globally distributed team in India and all over the world, right? And it was very hard to schedule any time that worked for everybody to start with. So like doing an all hands meeting was just silly. Hmm. And so I said, well, I can record audio. I can record video. We've got these tools that allow me to do it when I'm ready. And then they can consume it when they're ready to consume it. So I just started recording podcasts. Like I don't have any of those distributed widely because a lot of it was internal sensitive information for the company, right? But, but what we found was when you allowed people to work when they're productive and when you gave them the freedom to do things that allowed them to be more creative and more fluid in their thoughts, you got a lot more out of it. We were far more successful by letting people work from home mm -hmm. and work the hours that worked for them. Not everybody liked working from home. Some people liked coming into the office largely because they had kids at home, but giving them those tools too, to say like, hey, look, Slack has video. You can drop messages in there. You can pin them to the top if it's something really important to your team, have a channel just for your team, et cetera. And as we started allowing people to like, everybody's free to work when they're productive, uh, your hours are set by you. You just need to get the job done. What you commit to is the important piece, all that. When you did that, I found people also committing to doing more. Like they were taking on more than I thought they were capable of doing it and they were still delivering it. And it was because they weren't having to commute and they weren't stuck somewhere where they weren't productive and they were able to like, when they were passionate and ready to do it. And it was amazing. I fundamentally rethought my entire way of organizing a business and it was so impactful that I've, I've been trying to figure out a way to like write a book on this topic and say like, <laughs> guys, this is the right way to build a team because it, it works. The caveat is you have to be an incredible gatekeeper on who you let in. Yeah, I think that's a great way, you know, and it brings a lot of value on both sides, I would imagine. And we've seen a similar model work really well with things like customer support and having engineers work with customers to understand the challenges that they have. And then ultimately that comes back to building a better product because they understand the customer just that much better. We used to do way, 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 way back. Uh, there was a formal process for software engineers to go through and you always had to start in QA. You didn't get to sit write code day one. You had to test the thing for like six months before you were allowed to write any code. And I, I think that there's a lot of benefit in getting closer and closer to understanding the needs of the customer. And maybe the right thing is like, hey man, your first week, all you're doing is customer support. All you're dealing with is answering questions of customers frontline. So uh, we've been all over the map. Mm. This has all been very good for that software engineer who's listening to this and wants to know like how they're gonna be impacted by AI, how to think about the future of their careers, wonderful. But if you were to give any advice to them right now, especially if they're making a transition from IC into leadership, what advice would you put out there for them? So I think there's two things. As far as an engineer being concerned about generative AI taking over their job or anything along those lines, 
You know, I think it's just something that's going to be a boost for us in our productivity. I always encourage folks to continue to focus on the basics, not be caught by the shiny object syndrome, <laughs> um, but really understanding the basics, the core of the languages that we're working within and frameworks and those sorts of things can all be overlaid, but that gives us a lot more flexibility in our career. If we're able to really understand the basics, then it's just a matter of learning a, a new framework or set of technologies. I think for folks moving from IC to uh, management and leadership roles, if you're not there yet, I always encourage ICs at whatever level they are to find ways to be leaders within their teams, within their organizations. So this is mentorship and sharing of their knowledge. There's great ways to kind of present themselves as leaders before they move into a more of a formal leadership role. That's great advice. If you're moving into a, a leadership role, one of the things that I've heard from a lot of people that have made that transition is it's not a promotion, right? It's a, a lateral move. It's a different <laughs> job role altogether. And, you know, like I said earlier, I think technology is the easiest part of what we do when we start to get humans involved in the, that interaction among people. You know, that's where things get really, really complicated. So one of the things that I really like to do on any team that I'm joining, either as an IC or, or in some sort of leadership position, is get to know each of the individuals on the team. Everyone has a superpower and really try and identify what that is and tap into it. Because when we were able to use our superpowers in the work that we do, we produce better quality, we enjoy our work a lot, lot more, so. Everyone has a superpower is another thing I'm adding to the uh, quote list. Awesome. Good to hear it. <laughs> One of the uh, the things that you said in there that I really want to dig a little bit deeper into on your thoughts. So it is a different role. Like anytime you're in a management role, it is radically different than being in an individual contributor role. Like your day to day is no longer about coding It's a, or, you know, whatever the task was you were doing before. It's about uh, helping others be successful and trying to find their superpowers and pull those forward so they can be maximally successful. And starting about 30 years ago, every company needed far more software engineers than there were. And they all became technical in some form. Really rapidly, people were promoted into leaderships of those roles because they needed somebody to manage these teams that at least understood it, but they were never given leadership training. And over time, that was a self-reinforcing thing because the person that was first in is now probably like the CTO or, you know, it's been 30 years, they could be retired and you're like three or four CTOs through it, right? And they never really learned how to be a leader. They never learned how to manage. And so in our industry, we've had a vacuum of good leadership holistically across. Doesn't mean there aren't great people, but we have like a crisis moment where we're sitting there where now it's expanding again. And there are very, very few good leaders out there. And so I've spent a lot of my own time as I've tried to develop myself into leader over the years. You know, my dad was in a leadership position. So I use him as a mentor to go back to him and say like, Hey dad, when you ran into issues like this, how did you think about it? Did you have frameworks that you used, et cetera? And so I approached it the same way I would approach any other problem. I said, what are the edges and boundaries of the problem? What tools do I have at my disposal to go after it? And realize that there are tons, mm -hmm. there's tons of resources. There's an amazing amount of the body of knowledge out there, but for some reason, most people, when they make the transition from IC in a technical field to management, they don't take it as seriously as they would 
learning a new development language or learning a new technology. And so my first advice to them always is treat it like any other skill you want to master. Do the research, find the experts and train yourself on it because it's a whole new skill set and you're a beginner at it on day one. Like the first day into it, your point about it's a lateral move. I usually think it's a demotion because you went from being an expert yeah. to being the beginner. I think you're absolutely right. And if you really do treat it as just another skill that I need to learn, if you're coming from a highly technical role, treat it as an engineering problem. How can I solve this problem? What do I need to know? What do I know? What do I not know? What do I need to learn? Taking that approach to it and largely giving yourself a, a lot of grace because you know i would agree it's it's probably you know a demotion uh given the large variance and expertise that you have at those different phases so absolute pleasure having you on the show um is there any last words you'd like to give the audience yeah i think software engineering is a fantastic tool uh, it's a way that we can improve efficiency and automation within businesses i think it's important for us to always be focusing on what is the problem that we're solving and be very careful about trying to push a solution or a technology without really understanding the problem you know i see a lot of projects get into trouble because we're driving it with the technology that we want to use <laughs> The outside in, inside out problem that often happens in the entrepreneurial space, like don't have a solution looking for a problem, have a problem and try to find a solution. My default is automate it, write code. Doesn't matter what it is. I, actually, my motto on my wall is always be automating everything. And uh, that's not actually good advice. Writing code as technology isn't always the right answer. You're absolutely right. And kind of even back to your earlier point, Christian, when you were talking about as the better engineers got promoted into management uh, and then ultimately up into CTOs, if those folks didn't take the time to learn the leadership skills, they defaulted back to what they were comfortable with, which was coding. And so we see a lot of companies and, and teams really challenged because those teams are so technology focused and not as focused on the problem or the customer. That's a really good point. It's a thing that you'll see a lot in people that go back and forth between like principal engineer or enterprise solutions architect and CTO, and they'll bounce back and forth between a very high level contributor role and a high level leadership role. And whenever I see that profile, I'm like, you're an IC, you should be an IC, you want to be an IC, be an IC, you'll make more money, you'll be happier in your daily life. Mm -hmm. And you're clearly, that's what you're interested in. But most companies don't recognize the, uh, you know, unless they're a technical company like Google, Facebook, Amazon, they have, I can't even remember what their top, top, top level ICs are. And they make as much as anybody, except for probably Jeff Bezos and the, the C-suite, but they're very high paid roles, very important, but a lot of companies don't have that. And the only way to get into those really high level pay brackets is to jump into leadership. Mm -hmm. And that's my advice to them is like, never, ever, ever give one path. When you really want software engineers to solve problems for you and you want the best of the best, you've got to give an almost unlimited top level for them to continue to promote up through. I've told companies many times that like, you need to create more tiers. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've only got six for software engineers, create 30. Or like when somebody gets up to the point where they're at the top of them, do you want to keep them or do you want to lose them? If you want to keep them, you got to create a promotion path for them. And if you want to keep them doing what they're doing, but doing it for you into the future, give them a route. If you don't give them a route, they're gone. That's all there is to it. Um, and so, so many companies just screw that up. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Brian, again, absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, you were a great guest. This was a great conversation. Christian, it's been great uh, being here. I really appreciate you having me. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.